Answers, the national conversation with all things considered from NPR News. Tonight and every weekday night at 9, right here on Radio Catskill. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Stay tuned for a classic edition of Trailer Talk from the archives. I spoke to Chris Hill in Yellow Springs, Ohio last September. I was invited there by the Nonstop Art Institute of Yellow Springs, where she is a member, to share trailer talks, Frack Talk Marcella Shell Water Project, the Shell Project, on the main street for two days, because their community in Ohio is facing the complicated issues of fracking for natural gas. Chris Hill is a backyard beekeeper and an artist, and she shared with me her passion for beekeeping and how it's intertwined with her art practice, where she explores issues around public and private space. We spoke about local sustainable agriculture and how studies are now showing that agribusiness and monoculture are threatening bee populations and contributing to colony collapse disorder. I'm Sabrina, and my guest is Chris Hill, and we are on the main street of Yellow Springs, Ohio, in front of the Emporium on Xenia Avenue, and it's so about 10.30 in the morning on Saturday, September 3rd, and we are talking about beekeeping. Chris is part of Nonstop, which is an art institute here in Yellow Springs, and uh, I am here as their guests, and here with the Shale Project, and Chris and I, when I found out that she was a beekeeper, uh, and we found this out when uh, we were riding together in her car and drove by and pulled into this amazing field of sunflowers, and I learned through you, Chris, too, that sunflowers actually turn to face the sun, so this field of thousands of sunflowers was actually, they were all facing the same direction, which was quite incredible. And at that field of the sunflowers were bees. There was a hive. There was a hive in the field and there were bees on every single sunflower that we looked at. Yes. And so I learned that. So my guest is Chris and we're talking about bees and her beekeeping. This is from the Backyard Beekeepers Association in southwestern Connecticut. Pollen. Bees collect 66 pounds of pollen per year per hive. Agriculture depends greatly on the honeybee for pollination. Honeybees account for 80% of all insect pollination. 
Without such pollination, we would see a significant decrease in the yield of fruits and vegetables. Honey. Honey is used by the bees for food all year round. There are many types, colors, and flavors of honey. The bees make honey from the nectar they collect from flowering trees and plants. Honey is an easily digestible, pure food. Honey is hydroscopic and has antibacterial qualities. In addition, bees make beeswax, propolis, royal jelly, and also bee venom. About bee venom, it says, although sharp pain and some swelling and itching are natural reactions to a honeybee sting, a small percentage of individuals are highly allergic to bee venom. Bee venom therapy is widely practiced overseas and by some in the USA to address health problems such as arthritis, neuralgia, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and even MS. There are three casts of the honeybee, the queen bee, the worker bee, and the drone bee. I'm Chris Hill. I live here in Yellow Springs. I work with Nonstop. I'm a media media teacher, a media curator, media artist, Thank and a beekeeper. You. And a beekeeper. And we do want to talk about those bees. But to begin, I wanted to thank you for hosting Trailer Talk. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, it's just been great being here. It's really interesting and wonderful. And to meet parts of your community right. here and to be a part of this. Chris, would you like to talk about bees with me? I'm very interested. Sure, sure. I've been a beekeeper for about six years. I actually got involved with beekeeping before colony collapse disorder, so it's been interesting to watch that transition as so many more people have, have gotten involved in hobbyists and not just hobbyists. I mean, I think many of the people in this area um, take up beekeeping because they want to do it as a small business. A number of them have are homeschooling their kids, you know, so there's, and then there's a lot of people that just feel like they're supporting the environment by doing beekeeping. Actually, my initial interest in it was really, um, I spent some time in Eastern Europe in the early 90s, and many of the people that I knew had places in the country and kept bees. And there were these little shops that sold beekeeper supplies. So I became fascinated with the techno this technology, which was um, a technology that I didn't know at all. I was also fascinated with all these products, you know, like these medicinal creams and as well as the honeys and stuff like that that people produce there. I know when I've traveled in different places, parts of Europe, as you mentioned, Mexico, that bees and the benefits of different things that the bees make yeah. are very much a part of the cultures. Yeah, yeah. Seems well, they're antimicrobial. I mean, the waxes, you know, wax and propolis, which they produce and which are used in medicines and creams and that sort of thing. And honey is as, as well. It's antimicrobial, so it's very healthy stuff. It's, yeah. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. right? As you mentioned, the propolis, and I know the different creams, and then there's the, uh, the oh, what are they called? The, the pollen. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. to think. I was you're, seeing you're, you're, it in you, my head. Well, you've, I, seen I it, you've seen them carry it on their back legs when they Right, yeah. which is just yeah. incredible. This was, you said, in the early 90s? Yeah, that you the early 90s. first became interested in yeah, beekeeping, yeah. or bees. I, well, I became interested in beekeeping keeping because it was part of this culture in Eastern Europe where people people lived in apartments for the most part in the city and they were crowded. It was difficult to 
get apartments, so oftentimes two or three generations lived in a small apartment. But then they had a cottage out in the country somewhere, and they kept gardens. It was really, really important to be able to, to, to pass on the tradition of growing your own food. And everybody that I knew had cousins and uncles and grandparents mm. who would bring food in from the country. So beekeeping was part of that. And, and I was interested in, whereas here we think about public space as as being primarily urban, not necessarily, but I mean, like now we're sitting on a city street and we're, and in a sense, even though we're in your trailer, we're participating in public space. And, um, and Yellow Springs is very much about public space on the main street here. But in Eastern Europe at that time, um, people had been so protective and there had been this profound secrecy during um, socialism. So where people were really more open was in their country spaces. So I was interested in that. I was interested in the country spaces for that reason, as well as for the food that was being produced. So actually, as a media person, I was really interested in beekeeping became one of the things that people produced in this space where they were, where they were, you know, more comfortable to speak. Where was that exactly? That was in Prague and in Brno in the Czech Republic. But beekeeping is, is a very important activity throughout Central Europe. So, for example, a lot of people here have bees whose um, DNA comes from Slovenia. Slovenia is a really important center for beekeeping. Really? Yeah, it's actually the place... Well, Slovenia was really important because a really important beekeeper who established beekeeping for the Habsburg Empire did this in Slovenia. But one of the reasons that it is so important is that there's three climates that come together in Slovenia, like the Mediterranean, the the Alpine, and and another climate that comes across um, Hungary. And so the bees that emerged out of that area are very adapted to, like, this huge range of climate. So it's a very interesting species of bee. And that species of bee, is that localized? Or you're saying that that species has actually somehow migrated or been brought to other parts? It's been brought to the United States. Oh, it has? Yes. Okay, that's what you meant by that. Here. You meant here. Yeah, so a lot of people here have... They have bees. They have either carniolan bees, which are from Slovenia originally, or Italian bees. Those are the two kinds of bees most people have. And what are the bees that are from here? Well, bees are not native to North America. So all honey... There's other pollinators that are native to North America, but honeybees were actually brought over um, by the European settlers. Yeah, it's interesting. They're not That is so interesting, but so then... If you could share with me, what does that mean in terms of, because bees are so important yeah. for pollination, right. for our crops, right. for for our ability to grow and yeah. produce food, yeah. but then w- what was providing that function before. before? Right. We think about bees and their importance with food has to do a lot with agriculture, right? So like, so they are actually absolutely critical for pollinating certain plants, but they're, um, Without honeybees, there's all there's other kind of pollinators. There's you know bumblebees and butterflies, and the wind pollinates a lot of you know things. Um, there's other things that crawl around and right. carry pollen. But honeybees are incredibly efficient. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So that's why it's so critical when they begin to die yeah. and colony collapse, exactly. as you were describing. So when did colony collapse? When did that become something that people were aware of? When did it happen? Right. Um, I, I might get this wrong. It, I, my guess, I think it's like 2008. I believe it's 2007, 2008, something like that. And um, it was first noticed. And then um, there's been research. I mean, there's, you know, it's, there's been a couple of things that have affected beekeeping in recent decades. There were varroa mites also 
um, were not known in North America, and then in the 80s, somehow or another, they also came into this country, and they or into this continent, really. And um, they've, they also think that the Varroa might play a role in, in, in colony collapse. Oh. But um, yeah, there's it's a configura- It seems like it's a configuration of conditions that mm. um, that really affect the immune system of the bees and that leads to colony collapse. But there is a virus that they think is associated with it. But all these things like varroa and also um, the mm. uh, agribusiness, these. The, you know, the almond crop in California is a, is a particular problem. Okay, so the almond crop in California, um, the almond trees bloom very early, like in February. And the, the almonds, they just have acres and acres and acres and miles and miles of almond trees. It's a monoculture. So there's nothing else that's growing except almond trees. So it's not a situation where you can have bees that would, you know, do almond cr- trees in February, but then they'll do something else, you know, in March and something else in May and something right. else in June. Oh. So in order to, and almonds are a really big cash crop. So in order to fertilize the almond trees, um, beekeepers from all over North America truck their bees to California. Oh. They do this for other crops too, but the almonds, the almonds are particularly problematic because it's so early and a lot of North American mm. bees aren't really ready to to begin their season in February. So they wound up bringing bees in from Australia and New Zealand. Oh. And that and that actually and that's where they think that this virus came from. It came to this area in, in California where all bees from all over North America were for like two months, right, to pollinate the almond trees. So all of these bees were you know, were infected. Wow, that's incredible. I know so little about bees. <laughs> uh, I find them beautiful and fascinating. And then yeah. as I learn about what they do, of course, I'm in awe of them. And yeah. then honey is something when it's fresh and raw, it's just an incredible yeah, sort yeah. of thing. And it feels so good on the skin. And yeah, yeah. So, Chris, when did you decide that you were going to get your first bees? Yeah, well, that's, um, well, it was like in 2006. I think that's when it was. And um, I I decided I wanted to, I needed to have a bridge. I, I needed to go back and, and think more about my experience in Eastern Europe, and it had been 15 years. And I needed some sort of experiential oh. bridge. As, as, an, as an artist, I needed an experiential bridge to go back. And I w- had always been fascinated with the beekeeping. So I thought, well, I'll document myself learning beekeeping, and that will be kind of the bridge to me being able to discuss some of these issues of public and private space that I was really interested in. So I started taking beekeeping classes with, um, there's a beekeepers club in Greene County where we live here in Ohio, and it was a lot of retired farmers, actually, um, and some master beekeepers. And Actually, Ohio has a very important historical bee community, like one of the major publications from the late 1800s is in Ohio. Oh. And actually, you'll like this, um, the guy who the the it's the AI Root Company. He was friends with the Wright brothers, and of course the Wright brothers are you know from Dayton, which is only like twenty five minutes from where right. we are now. Amos Root was born in eighteen thirty nine and lived in Medina, Ohio. He developed innovative beekeeping techniques in the mid nineteenth century. His trade journal Gleanings in Bee Culture shared ideas about contemporary culture. His company, the AI Root Company, was founded in 1869 and manufactured beehives and beekeeping equipment. The company published the magazine Bee Culture and the book ABC of Bee Culture, both of which are still produced today. 
Right. So um, the Wright brothers, when they had their flight in North Carolina, wanted it to be published in Scientific American, and Scientific American refused to publish it. They said, nobody flies. You know, this is kind of like a craze. And so a year later, their good friend A.I. Root published in Gleanings and Beekeeping the first public account of their flight. Oh, that's incredible. Isn't that great? So what year was that? Roughly. I don't, I don't know. When, whenever the Wright, I know, Wright I don't brothers know. flew, uh-oh, I don't like know that's, that. That's yeah. okay, but early that's, part, that's very early fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, were born in Dayton, Ohio. On December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers made the first flight. They are credited with inventing the first successful airplane, and in 1911, the Wright's Vin Fizz was the first airplane to cross the United States. What is it about public and private space that you feel that the bees are somehow expressing or become representatives of? Well, part of it was the role that beekeeping played in uh, in Eastern Europe, and I was interested in the differences of of the way public and private was interpreted in that culture compared to ours. The more I learned about beekeeping, what became very interesting is that the bees themselves have these multiple ways of communicating. So they communicate through this waggle dance, which is kind of amazing. Um, so it's, they also communicate through pheromones. Um, they have these incredibly, I mean, they're, they have multiple eyes and they, I mean, there's just all these things about their, their, both their social system and their, in their individual, the individual way in which they perceive the world, which is just incredibly fascinating. So this, yeah. so as a beekeeper, that's the other thing about beekeeping is that the beekeepers are interesting because they're kind of like, they really, they all invent their own. I mean, you, you can't talk to a beekeeper without them really trying to tell you like something that they've invented or, oh. you know, so, so it's, it's a very, it's a, yeah. it's kind of like, um, it's like learning a technology. It's like learning how to do radio, like where people teach you, you know, these interesting things that they've learned. You know, I mean, it's, it's really very much, it's like learning a technology. So what year was it then that you decided, I mean, when you got your first? I think it was 2006. Is it that you get your hive? Is that what it is? Yeah, or? well, there's different ways of starting. So, for right, me, so you mentioned, so 2006 is when you both got them because you had, and also you had been thinking about this connection. Yeah, okay. yeah. But what happened was, is I was... I had taken a class, but I didn't feel like I was ready to start. And then the guy that I was t I was learning from, who's a master beekeeper, I I was following him around because with a video camera. So I was really interested in documenting what he was doing. And one day there was a swarm in his bee yard, which is a natural way that bees reproduce their colonies. So he had a new hive, <laughs> and he and he said, "Why don't you take? Why don't you? Why, why doesn't this be your first hive?" And so. You know, it was kind of a very spur-of-the-moment decision, and I took it. And, Chris, what has that been like? I'm Sabrina. This is Trailer Talk. And I have Chris Hill joining me at the kitchen table. And we are talking about bees, actually, uh, which is fascinating. <laughs> and, of course, to me, does tie into issues around the environment and gas drilling and fracking right. and how we connect to our homes and where we live so that it can produce foods and where bees can survive and live, right. and they can't if an area is polluted, right. is toxic. Right. So, Chris, you accidentally got your first <laughs> right. hive, and then, and that was back in 2006. Mm. And so, what has happened since then? So, what has this experience been like? And I understand it's a complex process, really, of somehow caretaking bees. Yeah, yeah. And so, what has it been like? And have you learned? something or have you even gone more deeply into the world of bees well i've become Hi. 
Because of colony collapse, it's also another very interesting way of, of looking at sort of public education and mm. how people become stewards of, of the land. Like around Yellow Springs has, um, is actually quite impressive in terms of people's commitment to the land, um, commitment to, to sort of being stewards of various aspects of the land here. So beekeeping, I think, is part of that. And I've se- so I've seen the local beekeeping club like Mushroom. It's just been incredible. That's been very encouraging. And, um, for example, one of my um, former students, you know, became a beekeeper and lives in Yellow Springs. And so we've, you know, huh. um, shared information. And, um, I mean, for me, there's many ways in which it's become interesting. I did an, I did an art project not in a trailer, but in a phone booth gallery <laughs> that um, happened last year that one of my colleagues, um, it was her art project, and I did a project in that gallery that was about public speech and beekeeping and postcards. I have used beekeeping as an as an art project, but aside from that, I'm also just interested. It's it's kind of like gardening. This was my project, but, um, but the phone booth is her project. Uh, uh, my colleague Miguel Orimo, who's an artist and lives in Yellow Springs, and um, who's actually sitting outside... And so her gallery was on a street corner here in Yellow Springs, and it was a phone booth, and, it, and the exhibition changed every month. And so I did a project that had to do with um, public and private space and beekeeping, and it was a postcard exchange between me and someone else. I was interested in how postcards are both public and private, yes. and it's private communication in a public space because mm-hmm. people can read it. So, you know, it was, I was playing with these issues yes. of public and private and beekeeping. Were the postcards correspondence about beekeeping? Some of yeah, mine were. Yeah, <laughs> they were. Yeah, actually, hers. She's not a beekeeper, so she wandered away from you know beekeeping, and then would come back to it. But yeah, mine were always about beekeeping. Is a large part of beekeeping for you what they produce? Uh, you know, the the honey, or is that really not? Yeah, it, I don't sell honey. I mean, I mostly I consume it and give it away. Um, to my friends so it's uh, for me I'm not the most industrious um, Mm -hmm. beekeeper I am interested in um, uh, you know I'm becoming more interested in propolis as a a substance that the bees produce which seems to have some really important health components to it I mean I'm sort of interested in learning more about that and um, yeah and and also the social they're just eminently fascinating you know so the whole social there is a kind of a, I don't want to say communication, that would certainly be wrong, that takes place between beekeepers and bees, but there, you do have to work with each other. I mean, you, you know, the the bees, because of colony collapse and, and really because of Varroa, bees don't ex- really can't, don't survive very well in the wild anymore. Oh. It used to be if, if a swarm happened and it set up in a hollow tree, you know, yes. in the woods, that it would survive. But now that with Varroa since the 80s, they usually don't survive for more than a couple of years. The oh. row will weaken them. So really, beekeepers are more need to be intimately involved with bees, with honeybees, um, at this point in time. Um, so there is this huh. way in which you work together. I mean, they respond to situations, and you have to respond to them. You have to anticipate some of the things that they do. They always surprise you. And these older beekeepers are great because they've been doing this for 30 years. So they, you know... They've seen it all, you know. Mm-hmm. So even when colony collapse happened, they said they suggested that that there have been these times in the past when there's been something that seemed to be borderline catastrophic. I think that the agribusiness has made colony collapse probably more severe than it might have been if we didn't have right. if that wasn't such a major part of beekeeping. I'm Sabrina, and my guest is Chris Hill. 
and we are on the main street of Yellow Springs, Ohio, in front of the Emporium on Xenia Avenue, and we are talking about beekeeping. Chris is part of Nonstop, which is an art institute here in Yellow Springs. So my guest is Chris, and we're talking about bees and her beekeeping. So why is it then that bees who are part of a domestic hive, why are they uh, less susceptible to this virus? Or is it a virus you're talking about? Well, or? well it's actually the varroa mites. But um, Oh, the mites. The mites. mites. Um, Hi, are you waiting to... Okay, great. It'll just be a couple of minutes. Yeah. The beekeepers have to treat them with something or, oh. or you know, it, there's other there's other ways of dealing with besides treating them chemically, but um, there's there's also non-chemical ways of dealing with it. But you have to do something okay. to try to keep the viral population down. And Chris, before you go, because okay. I know people are waiting to join Trailer Talk, how many bees do you have at this point? How many hives? And I, I have two hives, and I think each hive has about 40,000 bees or something. I don't know. It's like twenty. I think I think they usually estimate twenty to forty thousand bees. I I think maybe mine are like thirty thousand bees in two hives. Wow! So about sixty thousand bees, two hives, and they're these are the you said the bees from S- these are carniolan bees from Slovenia originally from Slovenia. So yeah. from Slovenia, yeah, yeah. amazing. I mean, heredit they're hereditary. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, I think this is great. all right. I really appreciate talking with you. Thank you. Uh, oh, likewise. I've been speaking with artist Chris Hill in Yellow Springs, Ohio, about beekeeping and her art practice that explores public and private space using bees as part of the investigation. We spoke about her art practice and beekeeping on Xenia Avenue in Yellow Springs, Ohio last fall. kitchen table out on the road. I'm Sabrina Artel. Special thanks to Michael Caselli and the entire nonstop Art Institute of Yellow Springs community who welcomed me to their town and who invited me to share Trailer Talks, Frack Talk, Marcella Shell Water Project on Xenia Avenue, the main street of Yellow Springs, Ohio, last fall. And I'm excited to share with you more of the conversations we had there. To find out more about National Honey Bee Day, please go to www.nationalhoneybeeday.com. Other sites with information about bees and beekeeping are the Backyard Beekeepers Association in Connecticut, www.backyardbeekeepers.com. And about urban beekeeping, backyardbees.net and backwardsbeekeeping.com. And both of those sites have a lot of resources throughout the United States. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Be recordings from Dobroid, Digifish Music, and Ben Bon Can from freesound.org. And Honey Bee, Keep on Stinging Me, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. Happy birthday, James Brown. God Father's soul. 90.5 FM, WJFF. All JB samples, scratches, uh, rips, bites, bits. Four hours of James Brown original samples and remixes Saturday night on Old School Sessions. Where would we be without the funk today? WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. David Quarman, Shaking the Viral Tree. An interview by Emmanuel Vaughn Lee. In his 2012 book, Spillover, Animal Infections and the Next Human Pandemic, the science writer David Quarman predicted another coronavirus outbreak. At the end of March 2020, the editor of Emergence magazine, Emmanuel Vaughn Lee, talked with Quarman, who was sheltering in place in his Bozeman, Montana home.